All right, let's do this. Peanut, if you're staying in the room, no talking. Welcome to the PhotoWork Podcast, the talky and touchy-feely version of my book, PhotoWork, 40 Photographers on Process and Practice. I'm Sasha Wolf, recording today once again uh, from the mothership on the Upper West Side of Manhattan in New York City. And I am joined, as always, by my friend and producer, the Sonny to my share. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> oh, I need a. I need to change my clothes. I need some kind of like red velvet tux or something. <laughs> um, you're not the tallest guy, so. No. <laughs> but I think Cher was quite tall, and that's true. I in no way resemble Cher, so <laughs> if anything's off there, it's me. I could do a little sunny cosplay. You could be, maybe you're the share to my sunny. I don't know. It's unclear. Okay, Michael Chauvin Dalton. Hello, Michael. I could never grow that mustache. That it's mustache my, was amazing. It's not my DNA. Yeah. How about the like semi bowl cut, floppy? Yeah, that straight hair. Yep. Yeah. Don't have that either. There was also a lot of fringe on the clothes. Lots of, well, yeah. Lots of fringe flowing around. I did have, by the way, in college, I had one of those fringe western suede jackets. Oh, yeah. It was so cool. And I have no idea what happened to it. I've thought (laughs) about it over the years. I've mourned its loss. I've tried to figure out what happened to it. And I have this horrible feeling that, like, maybe one day or night I was... Okay, I can't. Maybe just in some slightly altered state and like traded it. That's what I think probably uh, happened. Because I was into trading. So I don't know what I got for it. I, I, it was, I was just going to ask. I hope it I don't was something know. I don't good. Remember. I don't remember. Equally but I do think frilly. that happened. That's like in the back of my mind. That feels like that's what happened. So whoever has it, I hope you're enjoying it. That's I definitely I had a few uh, three-piece suits as a youth. <gasps> did you? <laughs> I did. Oh, my God. Did you have bell-bottoms? Uh, yes, I'm sure. It, yes, I had a a, 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 a blue suede. No, um, I had a blue corduroy suit as oh three-piece. Oh, my God. I love corduroy, <laughs> by the way. Oh, my uh-huh. God. A blue corduroy. That is fantastic. Yes. I, I knew we were hooked up for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> it just now all came into focus. <laughs> I have a picture of me with my hand in my little vest pocket. Oh, my God. All right. After recording, you must send that to me. I will find it, yes. Um, how are you? I'm doing all right. The weather is so nice right now. Yeah, I've been beautiful. outside a lot where you can be outside and unmasked. Yep. Um, soon that's to be what, unmasked indoors. That's what Dr. Fauci says. That's right. That's right. Um, yeah, and... You know, that, of course, um, we have to think about our plans for the fall, and uh, yeah. that's what we're all doing. Yeah. But I decided not to teach this summer because I did need a break. Yeah, good for you. Yeah, <laughs> I really needed it. But I, I actually I ended up uh, also uh, deciding to move my office into the photo lab so I could have more time with my students because I don't have a teaching assistant. So 
I have a bit of work ahead of me, but I'm actually looking forward to it. I'm That's really nice. taking ownership of the lab in a way I've, I've never done because I always had a TA. Good for you, man. That's good. Yeah, it's kind of fun. How about you? Uh, I am fine. Work is incredibly robust, really busy, yeah. knock wood. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, lots of really good acquisitions and lots of really fantastic projects going on. And um, and yeah, things are good. I did sprain my ankle, which is annoying. Um, uh, was that during a walk? Okay, it was. So here's, I sprained my ankle a month ago and just decided to ignore it. Oh. And that it would go away. And it just, it hasn't gone away. So today I went to the doctor Mm. and got scolded uh, for (laughs) acting like a child, um, which really isn't unusual at all. Um, And so now I have to wear a thing and not a a boot, but I have to wear like a brace because I do, Mm. I walk about six miles a day um, on average and four of those are in the morning with, with the nut. (laughs) And, uh, and so, yeah, so I have to now be an adult um, (laughs) and It's very annoying. Um, but yeah, I sprained mm-hmm. it. I sprained it on a hike, actually. I just rolled it and just was like, oh, that didn't really happen. But anyway, it did and it hurts. Yep. So so that's my really exciting news. Um, but no, no, everything <laughs> is, is quite, quite good, knock wood. And I think I had a, I think we have a nice show coming up um, with yes. my good friend, the photographer, Matthew Pillsbury. Um, I just want to say that Matthew's very serious in this episode, which is great. Um, and I think it's a, a great episode. But right. I think I freaked him out a little. And <laughs> <laughs> because we are really good friends and we were joking around a lot before we started recording. And then I, I may have said something like, okay, now we need to get serious. And That's he took, right. <laughs> he took me very seriously. So It's like, um, okay, ready, go. <laughs> yeah, so I may have taken somehow sucked the humor out of him he's a very funny guy normally but anyway but what did you think of the episode you know it's i think uh, what you just said it's really only in the beginning and um and I think sounds like I'm, I have him at gunpoint. Or something. I know you. I think both of you relax a, a few just a little funny. while into it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yes, uh, this was this was a really good conversation. You ask Matthew about uh, a response he gave you. Uh, in your book, photo work, and it's such an interesting response because it's it's a little. I think it's a little less common than uh, you would normally hear from an artist, and that is when he's working on a project. Even at that point, when he's in the middle of it, he would. I think he says um, he would not want to make a photo because it didn't fit the project. Uh, he still uh, believes in the the so the primacy of the single image. Yep, totally. And that allows him to stay open to other imagery to to be able to take a photo and not worry if it fits the project and then even further than that he says it it leaves him open to other people's suggestions while he's working and i think all of that is so interesting such a an open way to work oh absolutely no he's really unusual that way i mean i think it's really important to to sort of reiterate that everyone works in different ways and Matthew is not the only person working this way but Mm -hmm. it is more unusual and I think that Matthew is really 
focused on process. He loves going out mm. and making the types of pictures that he makes. And he's not going to let sort of the tyranny of, you know, an overarching idea right. stop him from making an image when he gets an idea in his head, even if he knows it's not going to fit into, a, you know, a current project. And he just makes the pictures. And often he'll just sort of back into a project by putting mm-hmm. together pictures that he's made after the fact. But he gets really, you know, he's very place-oriented, so he gets very excited about shooting in a particular place. And he's just going to go make the picture. Whatever happens, happens. He's just going to do it. He just loves shooting the way he shoots. And, right. And he gets so much joy from it. And that's where his focus really is. And it doesn't mean his fo- he's not, you know, extremely you know, also very focused on the final product, but process for him is huge. And so I I do think that that's really interesting. And I love talking to him about that. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you also have a, a pretty extensive conversation about being able to identify the artists either implicitly or ex- explicitly in their work. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's a fascinating conversation. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It is. I try and put him on the couch. He resists a bit. <laughs> <laughs> I can't help it. It's just so fun. Um, yeah, no, no. It's a really great conversation. One thing that falls into the cleanup on aisle 10 category is that he and I – I think more than once, although maybe anyway, once or twice we mention his old gallery, which was Ben Ruby Gallery. But he's been for the past couple of years and it just doesn't come up and mm. not because he doesn't he didn't ask me to say this, by the way. But I know how he feels about his relationship with Edwin Houck Gallery, which is where he's mm-hmm. been the past couple of years. And it's a great relationship. So. I wanted to mention because I also know those guys over there and I know how hard they work. And um, so I want to give a shout out to the fact that that that's where, where he's been the past couple of years. So, Oh yeah. Yep. Respect, respect for my fellow art dealers. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, I think it's a really great episode and I think, yeah, I think people will get a lot out of it. So if you don't mind, uh, Michael, please take it away. My pleasure, and here's your conversation with Matthew Pillsbury. Matthew Pillsbury, welcome to the PhotoWork Podcast. It's great to finally have corralled you. I'm really excited to be here with you. I did try and get you on early on, but you were waiting for proof of concept. I, I was waiting to be in a in a more optimistic headspace um, to talk about photography. During the pandemic, it felt a little, I was shuttered at home and didn't feel like I had as much to offer as to my outlook onto the world. Yeah, no, I do remember that. And you were waiting for proof of concept. No, just yet. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Matthew and I are pretty old and very close friends, so there'll be some ribbing. We've already begun. So, pretty Matthew close. Is, that's insulting. What's that? <laughs> pretty close. That's insulting. Extremely close. <laughs> we are. We are extremely close. So, uh, I ask everyone who comes on to just uh, 
give me a little bit of, of background. This saves me from having to read biographies. So if you could just tell people um, how you, you know, what your journey was to, to today. So I was born to American parents in Paris, France, um, and both my parents were involved in the arts. My father was the director of the American Center. My mom was a print dealer. I went to a public French high school um, and thought my life would be based in France, but decided to go to the States for college. So I came here when I was 17 and, and very quickly realized that, in fact, there was quite a bit of American inside me and found my way to make a home in New York, where I've been living now since uh, 97. And you came to go to Yale. I did. And that's where I started. I'd, I'd been taking photographs since high school, but um, it's where my interest in photography became more focused and, and was definitely brought to the front. I, initially, I thought I would be more interested in film. And that's what I'd imagined I would graduate um, in college from. But um, in the process of taking film and photography classes, realized that my passion was more directly with photography. And... Uh... I know after that you, you got your uh, master's um, at... at uh, School of Visual Arts. School of Visual Arts. Um, you didn't have to say that. I did know that. I was going to say SVA, but it's good you actually said it out. I think these shorthands are not always helpful for people who don't know School of Visual Arts. Yeah, I'd spent my, my 20s doing continuing the work I'd started in at, at Yale and uh, sort of had felt that I was at, at, a, at the end of what I was, the kind of progress I was doing on my own and really felt that I needed time for critique and, and more supportive environment in which to develop my work. And it felt like the right time to go to grad school. So I'd waited in, from when I graduated undergrad until I was 30 to go to graduate school, which to me felt like the right decision. What did you just, uh, what, what did you study at Yale? I was I was reluctant to be an art major because they don't have a photography major. And I, I just didn't think I was someone who would be interested in painting or sculpture or any of the other mediums. So I was an art history major until the beginning of my senior year. And luckily, someone convinced me that I was just being stupid and, and refusing to, to see the importance of actually doing a, a major in the arts. And so the summer between my junior and senior year, I took the requirement intro classes and in, in drawing, painting, etc., and then my senior year was able to do my thesis project in photography, which was an am amazing experience. Did you ever think to go to Yale for your MFA? Because, of course, it's one of the best they know, really, photography MFA programs. They really dissuade people who've been there as an undergraduate and particularly people who've done photography, one of the arts as undergraduates from doing the graduate program there. Because one of the strengths of the program is that you get to study with the teachers that are the graduate uh, teachers. So I took classes with Todd Papajoris, Gregory Crutzen, and of course, Lois Connor, who is my thesis advisor. And so going back for grad school didn't seem as, as interesting because I'd already taken classes with them. And I thought, and the school encourages this, that it would, be, that it's more interesting for students to go study outside the department and find another place in which to study. And I, I think initially it was the adjustment to SVA was very difficult. Uh, it's a very different kind of environment. And I'd, I'd spent a lot of time listening to the graduate critique classes at Yale, and they're very intense. It's a very small program. And so people get very intense in the, the, the conversations that they're having. And at first, I thought the, the approach at SVA seemed more casual, but quickly realized that it also allowed for a broader number of voices to be heard in part of the class environment. And I, I really loved my experience in both programs equally. They're just, they're very different programs, but I felt very fortunate for both of them. Who was your mentor or sort of main 
uh, teacher at SVA? Um, so my my first year, I was with Penelope Umbrico, and that's where my work took a, a sharp turn from the, the work I'd been doing in college, which was mainly landscape, to starting to photograph my friends and eventually photograph my friends watching their favorite TV shows and using, for the first time, long exposures to, to do that. So even though it was the first year, in a way, my work took the biggest leap working with Penelope. And then my, my second year, I was studying with Sarah Charlesworth, and my thesis advisor was Abelardo Morel. <laughs> I mean, you've had, I'm laughing, just have had really such incredible professors. I, I feel incredibly fortunate, not only that both experiences were, were incredibly fulfilling, and I got to study with people that were not just important people who I looked up to, but incredibly generous people in terms of their wanting to help and, and, and facilitate my growth as, as a photographer. You're one of the 40 photographers um, in the book, in photo work. And I want to I just sort of ask you some questions just sort of based on your answers in the book. And people listening, you're probably now hearing me uh, going to hear me lift up the book and turn pages here. Um, so w- one thing is, well, first of all, explain what your sort of the way you make pictures now. You have a very specific, I'm sure our people listening either already know your work or will have looked, but just describe because otherwise I'm going to start asking you questions that are sort of won't make as much sense. But if you could um, just give us a uh, a quick uh, sort of glimpse and, and description of your work. So when I was uh, starting at SVI, I was using an 8x10 camera, and I started wanting to take pictures of my friends, and I felt that I was already carrying this big camera and bringing it into their homes in New York, which tended to be small spaces, and didn't feel like carrying extra lighting equipment and bringing that into the spaces was going to facilitate my working methods. So it was a mixture of wanting to find a comfortable way of working and then being inspired by the Sugimoto photographs of the movie theaters. I started thinking of this idea of doing a single exposure for the length of time that they were watching their favorite TV show. So I would go into their homes, set up the 8x10, and for a half hour or an hour, depending on whether they were watching a sitcom or a drama, take a single exposure with no additional light in the room other than the ambient light coming from the television and whatever city light was filtering in. Over the years, I've started taking that method and expanded it to photographing different settings, both public and private, uh, indoors and outdoors, daylight and night. Um, but all the work is is using available light and a Exposure that now ranges from a few seconds to an hour or longer in a few cases. Also shooting in color. And so I starting with the, the project I did in Tokyo about uh, four years ago, I started shooting digitally. and I think and it was more than four years ago. I hate yeah, to break yeah, it to yeah. you. It was like six years ago. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, you young people who are listening... This is what happens when you get older. Uh, yeah, so it was uh, 2014, so it was seven years ago. Yeah. Uh, so seven years ago, I did the. I've switched from the 8x10 to working with a digital medium format camera, and in, in part of that was a desire to also be able to work in color. Something I'd done a little bit with the 8x10, but the cost of doing so meant that I was more afraid of experimenting, and so I ended up not shooting as much uh, in color. And with the project I was doing in Tokyo, I knew I wanted the freedom of making pictures both in color and black and white without sort of the 
having to worry about which film, film holders were loaded with which film, et cetera, et cetera. And so, um, and actually in the years since, I would say initially it was really split evenly. And now I would say most of the work I've been making is, has been in color with still some images in black and white. Yeah, I feel like you really, not everyone who starts shooting in color really uses the color. It's a funny thing because I find often with artists that they switch but I can't quite figure out why. And if I, if it's someone I'm working with and I have the opportunity to sort of talk to them about it, yeah, I, sometimes I'm a, a little surprised by sort of the lack of focus on color, like they're not thinking about color palette or what the color is actually adding to the picture. What happens when you lose the sort of less literal world that you get when you're shooting in black and white. But I feel like with you, you sort of have really made use of color from jump. Do you, do you feel that way? Um, well, th thank you for, for saying that. I, I've definitely embraced color. And, and again, it's sort of the, the importance of my years in grad school. The, I had two classmates from grad school that really helped me when I made the transition for color. It was, it was like learning a new language. And it felt like a, a process, but I was really interested in in exploring it and it's it it's definitely has taken on a very big part of the work that i that i do as i said now i think probably a dominant um part of it do you miss black and white do you miss thinking in black and white as an artist i don't it's 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 like a, it's a language it's sort of the way that you know i i still speak french and it's still a part of my life but it's no longer the language i use day to day it's there and i still in most cases I'm completely clear when I'm making a photograph whether it's going to be a color photograph or a black and white image. And there's a handful of instances where I have remained sort of on the fence and I look at the image both in color and black and white and am torn about it. But it's adding, I felt like it was adding a, a, a tool to my arsenal of ways of making images. It It's become just very exciting to have that added palette to use when making making photographs. Let's just go back to you sort of briefly mentioned sort of a seminal project for you, the project where you were photographing your friends in front of the computer or watching television. You did this in black and white in large format, an 810 film. This project was called Screen Lives. And I love this project. This is one of my favorite um, bodies of work of anyone at any time. And as you know, I have a photograph from that series in my bedroom that I cherish. It's very meaningful to me. So personally, I feel like that series is your most intimate. And I, I want to talk about what you and I did together when we took that to a whole different level. We'll get to that. But do you feel like Screen Lives as a whole has an intimacy that the work that's come after it doesn't have that's not a criticism by the way it's just no it's i think it's completely factual both the, the the pictures were made in people's homes and in a fairly intimate way i was bringing an 8x10 camera into people's bedrooms into people's living rooms and sitting there with them for an hour while they were watching their favorite tv show or while they were working on their computers and having fairly private moments, but sharing it with them. And I think it, it also was a project in which I was photographing some of the closest people to me personally. And so I think part of that intimacy does come through in the images. I mean, one of the 
the criticisms or the questions that came up in, in grad school when I would show the work was, are these portraits? Are they about sort of the role of technology in our lives? And I think a lot of times people come across more with the idea of it being about an indictment of technology or about the role of technology in our lives. But for me, they did come out of this desire of wanting to make portraits of my closest friends. And so I'm happy and comforted to hear that you think that that intimacy shows through in the final images. Yeah, I find it incredibly intimate. I, I want to just say that, first of all, just a, a few sort of obvious things. You're you're much closer to the people, literally. You know, you're not on a street or in a, you know, at the Tate Modern or at the Museum of Natural History getting like a huge crowd of people. This is you in a small space and the camera is is pretty close to the person or people. I, I also just want to mention, because I think it's important so people have a sort of can imagine what we're talking about. People were allowed to get up. They didn't have to, it's not like posing for, you know, when you're being, you know, someone's drawing you or painting you. You know, they're not rendered, you can't tell who it is, right, in most of the pictures. It's... yeah. And, and I think that also came out of my, my failings as a, as a photographer in a certain way, which was that I felt really uncomfortable with the, the sort of seduction that you have to do when you're making someone's portrait in terms of making them comfortable slowly in front of the camera so that they reveal something about themselves. And I truly admire some of my friends and photographers I know who, who are able to do that with, with people they know or with strangers. But for me, it was incredibly uncomfortable. And so using the long exposure was a way of removing that element from the process and just letting them know, just do what you would normally do while I'm, you know, while you're watching TV. And if you get up to get a cup of coffee or if you go answer the phone, feel free to do that while I'm making the picture. That'll become part of sort of the, the way you experience this, this moment. And but it meant that I no longer had to say, look a little bit to the left or, you know, try this, try that. It was a way of just allowing and people would start off sort of uncomfortable, but then over the first few minutes sort of forget that the camera was there and that they were, you know, trying to, to do things. And and it, it meant for a different kind of experience. And it, it, it again found a way to play to strengths I have or at least not have my weaknesses become a problem in the pictures I was making. And I think part of the intimacy, too, is the, the fact that the, the pictures were made with an 8x10 camera meant that the details in the people's space was, were incredibly well rendered. And so even though you don't see my friends, you see the books that they're reading, the magazines they have, the objects they have. And there's a way in which the invasion of their space is a way of getting a sense of who they are. It's a little bit like walking into someone's house while they're away and, and being able to, to glance at, at, at and imagine who they are something you know, if you stay at an Airbnb or something like that, you, you try to get a sense of the people through the, the space and how they live. And I think the photographs allow you to do that in a certain way. And just to be clear, the people aren't perfectly rendered because they're not staying still, but you do see a ghostly outline. And it's really sort of amazing to me how intimate they do feel, even though you can't pick up people's facial expressions and that sort of minutia. And in a way, the work always reminds me of how I feel about, I've always loved Dorothea Lange's photographs of people from behind. I feel like she was so great at the, the body language of the people, you know, made it so that when I'm, I mean, I came to her when I was very young, but I, 
I always found it very easy to sort of just imagine what the people looked like. And I feel that way with those pictures of yours. I mean, I think we all have accepted that the camera's ability to freeze a moment in time, usually a very short one, allows us to see things in the world that we can't see ourselves. So that, you know, you have Moybridge studying motion and revealing to us the actual mechanics of a horse's gallop. And I think my hope is that with a long exposure, you're also seeing things in the world that we sort of know to be true, but that we can't actually see ourselves. And so the people through how much they move or how they move over the course of that hour, reveal themselves in a way that's that's very revealing and interesting in that we don't perceive it obviously that way ourselves. We can tell if someone is a f- fidgets a lot or, or moves a lot or doesn't move a lot, but seeing it as a single image reveals something about them that we don't normally see. And I think that that's very interesting. By the way, like I, I know that Screen Lives Part of Screen Lives has to do with the commentary on technology, but I actually always find that series to sort of just be about quiet moments. I mean, I think that's why I read it as very intimate, because these are such quiet and personal moments when we're watching television and when we're in the privacy of our own home. You know, it's like everyone's guard is just down. And then you're, you're, you sort of disappear with this long exposure. And so it just feels totally natural. It's weird because, again, I'm filling in so much because it's so hard to actually see the people in the pictures. But yet it's always had such a profound effect on me. So after Screen Lives, you know, one thing that's really interesting is I want to just read something. This this is you're really an outlier here in 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 the book, one of the questions is, is the idea of a body of work important to you? How does it function in relation to making a great individual photograph? And you wrote, it's secondary to making a great individual image, though obviously I hope for my images to come together and make some sense as a group. But they are each conceived individually, and I definitely have some images that exist on their own. Sometimes their place in the larger body of work becomes more apparent over time, and sometimes they remain standalone images. You know, that is very unusual. And I wonder if you can talk about working that way, because obviously after, we're talking about after this project, Screen Lives, we've now described, that really has become your dominant way of working, which is to say, the individual image. So to me, the the idea of one of the things that always scares me or that, that worries me is when this, this happens a lot in, sc- in school settings, people give their work a title before they've actually gone around making the images. And I think for me, the important thing is going into the world and making the best images that I can see. And I, I would hate for to feel like I shouldn't make an image because it didn't fit into the idea of what I was trying to do with my work. And so I, there are images that exist on on the outlier that have remained on the outlier of the group of images and then others as i say in the book that sort of find their way into it and i think it's one of the interesting things as an artist is is when you're thinking about your work and people are talking to you about it is knowing in which ways you can grow or not grow and when you need to hold your ground and not take you know what someone says and part of that realization for me happened in, in when I was finishing grad school and Abelardo Morel was my, my thesis advisor. He looked at one of the pictures I'd taken and saw a reflection in the window and sort of said, well, maybe 
you know, this is the picture, just this little detail of the reflection in the window. And at the time I thought you're completely crazy. I'm making pictures of my friends working on their computers and watching TV. Why would I take a picture of a reflection in a window? But the comments stayed with me. And over the years, I, I would look at that that area of the photograph. And, and then in the years that followed, I started making some pictures that were just reflections in windows of details that I was seeing in light. And I feel like that is something that came out of that that moment of looking at that picture and seeing something beautiful and it, i think if it, what part of what attracts me with photography is this idea of going out into the world and and making images that reveal something surprising in our world and, and in familiar places and in familiar settings that we've all seen and that we've seen in person and seen photographs of and still finding a way to making a photograph that would reveal something. And the idea of not making that picture because it doesn't fit in with the other pictures that I'm making in a given moment doesn't make any sense to me. And so I'll, I make the picture and and sometimes like the, the picture I did for the cover of the New York Times magazine of the globe, it sort of is an image that I really like, but that has never found really its role in my broader you know work. And then there are other times where pictures that initially started that way, like some of the, these first reflections have sort of found ways to to become sort of a subset of my work where there's now, you know, at least a dozen images that I would say that sort of fit into that category. And so I, I would hate for the idea of what my work is to prevent me from making a, a picture. And I, I think actually those times where through suggestion or in some cases, assignment, like the, the first time I went into the in the public space to make long exposures was for the New York Times magazine when they asked me to photograph the Museum of Natural History. And, and at first, my initial response was, why would I photograph the Museum of Natural History? Again, I'm making pictures of people relating to technology. Why would I go into a museum? But there's a way in which when someone from the outside can have another idea for what one's work is and sort of expands your own understanding of what it is that you're interested in and what you're looking at. I find that to be to be really interesting. And so I try to remain open to all of that. And in some cases, again, it leads to just a single image. And in other cases, that becomes then a subset of, of the work. It seems like place, I'm trying to figure out exactly how to say this, but it seems like place is sort of centrally important to you. Not of course, people and the way people are in a space at a place. But, you know, in the book, you say that your first, the first sort of photo book that was important to you is Ache. And which I know you're going to say his name a lot better with a French accent. <laughs> I knew I should not have said anything. I could make so many jokes now about when we're together and we pass one of the chain places that's from France. I don't even dare say, let's go there and then say the name because it's too embarrassing. I, I have to just point. You're making me sound like the worst stereotype of a French person who makes fun of Americans for their accent. I studied Spanish. That's my excuse. Um, but I do feel like, I do think that's interesting because I do see a lot of him <laughs> Ache or just say it you're actually doing great Ache okay yeah. um I see a lot of him in your work D does that and I, I also just wonder if this is just me being you know I can't resist psychoanalyzing everyone I just wonder if sort of even though you were 
born and raised in Paris, but your parents were American. I don't know. I just wonder if you have a particular fascination with place because of your upbringing. I, I think, I mean, Ajay was the first photo book I was given. And it, I, again, this idea of seeing spaces that you know, but seeing them through photography shown to you in ways that surprise you. And so what was sort of magical about it was seeing pictures of the, of the city I was living in, but seeing it in a way that I hadn't noticed before. I mean, some of the pictures of doorways were taken literally two or three doors down from the door that I, I you know, to the building I grew up in. And I would pass these buildings every day on my way to school. And I'd never noticed some of the details in the doors themselves. And so suddenly seeing a picture taken and in a book that was of two doors down I, as I was walking down the street was was suddenly looking at it anew and with a new sense of of wonder and 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 noticing and I think that's one of the things that I, I find most interesting about about photography and I think the the work that I'm interested in comes in two big categories the people that that use large format camera and that sort of have approached the world the same way I do and that's actually certainly falls on that and then I'm I also sort of have a fascination for the photographers who work completely differently and are able to do those things like to seduce their their friends into revealing themselves in a portrait uh, and and I think those are the two big areas of interest for me as far as place I think. I love this idea, you know, the book I did with Aperture is called City Stages. I love this idea of these spaces being the stage on which the drama of our lives take place. It sounds like a soap opera, but, uh, and and so yes, I think that this, the, these settings are really interesting to me, but they're not interesting to me empty of life. And so like during the pandemic, I was really not interested in going out and photographing the city when it was completely empty. And I, I I regret not having photographed it empty, sort of more of just with my phone as a memory of what the city felt like. But artistically, I didn't have an interest in go in making pictures. Whereas yeah, no, you, you had no fire to no, take pictures at no, all. And it was no. definitely not just pandemic malaise. It was also you were not inspired because no. of the lack of people. Yeah. yeah. And conversely, right now, the energy in New York is intoxicating and there's i'm i'm photographing a lot right now and there's this palpable energy and so it's it is the space is is one of the the first things that attracts me to go photograph somewhere but it is also very much about the people and how and to me it's the people that make the photograph but the space is this like wonderful setting that draws me that draws me there to to make to make it do you also think, I know you as, you know, an extremely warm person. And I actually remember that warmth and feeling that the first time we met, which was in 2007. And you and I became extremely close friends pretty fast. So that was definitely there for me. But I do think that you sometimes have a slightly guarded quality, which I assume has to do with how you sort of came to understand yourself. And I wonder if also the sort of way in which you keep, you're very fascinated by people, but you keep a remove 
has to do with your own or set you down this that path because of your own anxiety about your inner life. Does that make sense? Um, yeah, it's I, I mean, it makes sense. I don't know. It's we're getting we're getting into this, you know, the psychoanalysis of, of why I'm making pictures. And I, I think can't help it. Uh, no. Yeah, I think it's it's one of the conversations that came up in grad school when I was making this, the screen life pictures was why? Why was I doing this? And that's when I hadn't even really thought about this. But the, as the teacher was questioning me on on this, I started thinking going back to my childhood and I grew up without a television and so the only way I could watch television was to go over to friends homes and watch whatever shows they were watching and so there's a way in which obviously I was recreating that moment by making these pictures in this way and going inviting myself over to my friend's house long after I had a television and sitting there for an hour and, and watching whatever show they were choosing to watch with them as as far as I, I mean, I don't think of myself as a, as a guarded person, so I, you know, it's hard for me to to correlate. Uh, but I think there's, I, as I was making those screen life pictures, it was concurrent with when I was coming out, and I think that there was a way in which I was also looking at the lives of people around me as sort of trying to understand how how we were living and what was going on, what were the various forces in our lives, and as we then did with the when we did the edit for the Nate Me show when I met Nate who became my first boyfriend a lot of the pictures became about our life together and him and I think definitely I used photography as a way to try to understand my life and who I was and what you know my relationships have meant but let me so let me so this is interesting because I understand this is what I'm sort of trying to get at, which is it's it's so fascinating to me because I know what you're saying. I mean, I know this to be true because of my relationship with you. But if you think about the way a lot of people use the camera to talk about their identity, it's extremely overt and extremely personal on the face of it. Yeah. Right. And we see that a lot now. There's a lot of work being made about identity. I happen to think all work is about identity. I've said that before because it's always revealing some part of our inner life. But there's a lot of work being made right now that's about identity in an extremely overt way. So even though your work was exploring your identity, like everyone's does, I think, it was not in any way overt. And I think that continues to this day. So, and when I say guarded, I don't mean, like I said, I consider you a very warm person. And I think most people find you very easy to talk to and approachable and whatnot. But you're not, you, you know, you're not putting it all out there. That's what I mean. And, you know, there's a reserve in your work. Do, do you not agree with that? Or do you not see that? I mean, I, I don't think, I don't think the work is explicitly about my my personal life and so in that way yes and i i think it's it is i'm more interested in or not more interested i've just been interested in in sort of exploring the world and seeing again sort of these spaces in my life and and how people in the, the various environments that I find myself in are using making use of those spaces and and how they're they're going about living their lives and it's not I mean I don't think my work has 
ever been purely autobiographical or you know explicitly about my my personal right explicitly yeah. that's so I think it is autobiographical it's just oh, not I, explicitly autobiographical yeah, yeah. and that's the part my guess is that you probably that was as comfortable as you felt when you were younger um anyway okay so you know we've touched on Nate and me a few times and and so that was a show that you and I did together. We started talking about it as an idea in 2012. I think we put it together in 2013. And then your gallery at the time, Ben Ruby Gallery, was nice enough to lend you to me. And I mounted that exhibition at my gallery in 2014. And I wonder if you could just talk about what it's like to sort of back into a show, because we grabbed those images from other bodies of work. And the connective tissue was Nate, your relationship with Nate. And it's an interesting way of sort of creating a body of work and the way we sort of, yeah, backed into it. So how did that feel? Well, it was, it was very... I mean, it was very fun working with me. Let's just stipulate obviously. to uh, that. It, it was incredibly interesting and gratifying. I, I think one of the my reluctance with going on the podcast or in, in sort of analyzing or dissecting whether the screen life pictures are about technology or about my friends or and, and all that is my hope is that whatever ideas I bring into making the work, the work ends up being about much more than that and can lead people that look at it to, to think about many more things than the ideas that I brought into making it. And so here we were take, looking at images that had been made over many years, over different, you know, the book in, in the your book, we talk about series and the images had been released as part of various groups of pictures that I'd released over the years. But to look at them with a different connecting thread, namely that to keep our, the focus that we were using, which was on pictures that I'd taken of Nate, pictures I'd taken of myself and pictures that I'd taken of the two of us together. And it was really interesting to me that suddenly these pictures that were, had been taken for no reason interconnected to each other did tell a story that was that was really important to me and that made the sort of personal nature of my work more readily visible. Um, I, I agree with what you were saying. I think all work is inherently personal and even some of the sort of grander public spaces have personal elements to, to it. But here we were taking pictures and revealing a personal part of my my story as a as a person that I been married in my 20s, had come out relatively late, and then had met uh, Nate, and he became my first boyfriend. And sort of the, that those years going from questioning myself and who I was to accepting myself as a gay man and embracing my first relationship and, and how pictures that I'd made over that period of time were able to tell that story in a really revealing but interesting and f photographically satisfying way. And I think, again, it's why I would not want to not make a picture because it didn't fit into a story, because the story can come later. Uh, and I think to me, the importance is just to be going out and making pictures. And I think it's why when people say that they're stuck and certainly last summer, for example, I was stuck. The way to getting unstuck is just to go and make pictures, not to be overly thinking about what what comes next or what is the next step but to remember that the important thing is to just be doing the work. I just want to underline that because I think it's so important. 
I don't, you know, I'm sure people have come on the podcast and said the exact opposite. And this was the whole point of the book, Photo Work, was that people work in different ways and you have to find what works for you. And Matthew's saying something really important here that for him, you don't mind if I just repeat what you just said, Um, for him, you know, just going out and making pictures is so important and that it, you don't have to know where they're going to land. And yeah, they can, they can be sitting, you know, in a box, the proverbial, not the proverbial, but the, yeah, the proverbial box for years and years. And then all of a sudden you, you find a place for them. Now that a lot of people don't work that way, but many people do work that way. And so I think it's, it's just super important. One, one other thing I just want to talk about that I think people listening will find interesting is how you developed, because you've touched on this a few times as we've been talking, it wasn't on my list to sort of ask you about, but I think it's actually important, how you've developed your commercial career. You've talked about assignments. So how did that come to be? You've had a really interesting career. It's just sort of rolled along, you know, and developed, you know, so that, you know, you're one of these photographers, and I work with a number of them who, you know, are really hired to shoot the way they shoot, you know, they're hired based off of their artwork. And that's a really beautiful thing. And you even sometimes incorporate some of those assignment pictures into your artwork. And that's certainly the always the the hope when I go into making it. So it's just so the the listeners understand, it's it's editorial assignments. I've yet to shoot yes, any uh, commercial commercial work. Um, no, only people like me get that confused. <laughs> uh, but I, it first happened as I was finishing up at the School of Visual Arts. I there's a competition. I think they still do it where the New York Times Magazine was asking college students to submit their work, and I actually did not win the the competition, which I was bitterly disappointed by. But they obviously looked at my work and within a few months called me to photograph the Museum of Natural History. And as I said, my initial response was, why would I do this? It's not at all the kind of work that I'm interested in making right now. But it was the New York Times Magazine and it felt it felt like an honor to be asked. And and they were encouraging me to go and make pictures the way I wanted to to photograph. And it was the, the beginning of a relationship that's now been going on for 17 years. Uh, that's been incredibly fruitful for me. And I, I realize not all the assignments have led to you know personal work and not all of them have led to changes in my personal work. But there are times where, again, someone comes to you with an idea for your work that ends up being a real gift, a moment in which the idea of one's work expands in that moment. And in going out into the Museum of Natural History and using the long exposures that I'd been making but using them to look at the dinosaurs and the crowds moving in front of them and the, the planetarium, my idea of what my work was grew in, in that moment. And it was a really important moment for me as, a, as an artist, a, akin to the, the, that first semester at SVA in Penelope's class or, or when Lois first showed me you know, the, the images she'd been making with her large format camera. The, this idea of suddenly one's own understanding of what one can do is 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 expanded and that is not something that happens every day and it's a really special moment and so the the assignments that i've had have all been wonderful and really exciting opportunities and and in the best of cases 
like the photographing the Women's March for the New York Times Magazine, you know, leads to an image that becomes a very important part of my own work. And then there have been other assignments where I make an image that's a well-made image of something that I was asked to photograph, but that, you know, doesn't transcend that or become any more meaningful than that. But the, the goal is always to have it be something that's personal to me and that the, the, the magazine will also be interested in using. And one, one last question. What's it been like, what has it been like to have various relationships with galleries? Because you've, you've had representation for a long time and you are represented by many different galleries and you've changed galleries for various reasons. So how has that played a part in your, your life? I mean, I, th I think, you know, obviously to, to the outside world, I was an overnight success story and my experience of it was much longer and more complicated than that. But my relationship with Bonnie Ben Ruby was obviously a, an incredibly important one that will be always a, a relationship that will stand sort of apart, I would imagine. I went into her gallery as a senior at Yale wanting to research a thesis paper that I was writing on Abelardo Morel. And she sat me down with a box of proofs and we just started looking at pictures and talking about pictures. And over the years, I would show her my work and she was very polite and kind in, in her assessment. And then all of a sudden, when I showed her the screen live pictures, she asked me if she could get a box of proofs to the gallery by the following week. And within you know a few weeks of that, it sold prints to SF MoMA, the Museum of Modern Art, and was on the way of planning my first show. So it was it, it happened very suddenly, but was long in the making. Long gestation. Um, exactly. And and the relationship she and I had was was a very close one and led to my work going out into the world for the first time and people seeing it and people collecting it and to shows in other galleries. My relationship with the other galleries that I've worked with has, I think, of us as partners and that I really cherish the work that they do every day to put my work out into the world. And I think of them as allies that I work with in terms of best finding a way for my work to, to go out into the world and for people to see it and, and engage with it. And, and so I feel I felt very fortunate for the, the people that have taken on that responsibility and have been willing to work with me. But it's, I think it, it's, you know, for the people that are listening that are not with galleries, it's important to sort of learn about the galleries and to learn how they work and how to approach them and when it's appropriate and to, to understand that you're working together and that there's and, and that's also true whether you're working with editorial assignments. These are people who are doing their jobs and who have in, important things that they're doing. And so you have to find the ways in which you can work with them in a way that that respects what they do and the work that they're doing and is also the most successful at achieving what it is that I want as an artist, which is, you know, making the pictures and getting the pictures out into the, into the world. And I would just add one thing, which is that I think now the way the art world is sort of set up, I don't think you need to have a gallery anymore. I, I think it used to be way more important, um, but I think people are making really you know, big careers for themselves without galleries. I think for you, it's really helpful because you're not, you really are not someone who wants to sell yourself. You know, that's not, I don't I, think, a place where you're comfortable. So I think it would be 
difficult for you to not have someone doing that for yeah. you. I was I was absolutely terrible at at selling my work. I I self organized a few shows in my twenties and sold a grand total of I think seven prints in ten years at three hundred dollars a print for platinum prints, which is barely covering the cost of the platinum. And uh, it made me deeply uncomfortable and, and I was miserable at it. So again, I think the thing is finding those areas where you can play to your strengths and minimize your weaknesses and while still challenging yourself on those weaknesses. But it's important to find ways to make work where you're not fighting something that makes you deeply unhappy, whether it's bringing lights with you on a shoot or trying to sell my own work. Those were things that just don't suit me and I think were best left aside. And then other things I keep challenging myself and hopefully will get better at as, as I continue doing it. Well, on that note, Matthew, thank you so much for spending time today. I'm so happy that I finally got you to agree to do this. And um, I will, I love you and I'll talk to you soon. I love you too. Thank you. Photo Work with Sasha Wolf is produced by me, Michael Chauvin Dalton of Real Photo Show. The executive producer is Sasha Wolf. And our theme music is by Jay Walter Hawks. You can hear Photo Work on all your favorite podcast platforms. Please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify, and be sure to subscribe on any one of those services or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you.